0: Stories of Communism 42, The Bears and the Bees. Welcome to Stories of Communism, the podcast where we discuss what life is really like for those unfortunate enough to live under communist or socialist governments. Recording from the suburbs of Wichita, Kansas, this is Eric Seligman, your host, with co-host Manuel Castaneda, dialing in from Oregon. Today we have another great interview with G.U.C. Sudo, author of the memoir titled I Tried that we discussed in the last episode. As you may recall, Sudo grew up in communist Romania and had a very colorful early life. In our interview, we discuss his impressions on the transition from communism to living in the West, his thoughts on various political topics, and some hilarious stories that didn't make it into the book. Now, let's go to the interview. It's really funny how I, like, worked alongside you for all these years, but I guess never really uh, spoke to you
1: enough to, to know about your interesting right. past. And how did you come up with the title of the book? I Tried. Um,
2: well, um, I had lots of stories I wanted to write, probably a hundred or over a hundred. Um, I am very much into stories, listening to stories, telling stories. And I told many, many stories, and I have many that I haven't told. And I, I, I just ha- had this urge to write them. And, uh, and I wrote about 10 of them out of order, so they were not necessarily in time sequence. Um, and I called it the book. I didn't have a title. And, uh, and then when I, when I kind of reread the stories, and, you know, one of them was I was trying to get a soccer ball I couldn't. I was trying to become a, a pole vaulter. I couldn't, um, I wanted to, you know, um, win a ski championship, championship and I couldn't. So uh, kind of the recurring theme was that I, I was in the middle of it, in the thick of it. I tried, but I didn't succeed. Or many times I didn't succeed, right? and I said, okay, so this would be a good title, I tried. And then for so the next 20, some 20 plus stories, the title of the book kind of guided me of which stories to pick because they could have been stories that ended in success or whatever. But um, they didn't make it into the book because kind of the theme of the book was set to I tried.
1: <clears throat> well, we, ha- we have a lot in common. And your story about uh, being picked in the last round for playing soccer that's uh, I can identify with that very well Mm -hmm. (laughs) right right yes well thank you for writing the book again it's um, very uh, telling and inspirational for other people that 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 know that there's something better out there and they what, what is what is your cultural background
2: I don't know much about you
1: oh uh, I was born in Mexico in a small village, a mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, very small village with uh, five homes. Oh, no, wow. no running water, no electricity. I was mm-hmm. 14 years old when I moved to the U.S., and this is when I first started using electricity and telephones, wow. and <laughs> watching TV. <laughs> wow. And and then uh, this country has been a blessing for me because there are opportunities here for people that want to work. Sure, sure. So we we are very interested in people that have come from backgrounds like yours where uh, they had to endure uh, socialism and communism. And of course uh, our concern is that too many people are very easily duped, you know? They they are convinced very easy that socialism and communism is the way to go, and they want to pull us over in that direction. Mm-hmm. So hearing your stories and stories of others motivate us to keep uh, putting those stories out so that people can see that freedom always going to be better than socialism or communism. Right. Right. There is more risk there, but there are a lot more rewards. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, so 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 maybe heading up of communism. I'm sorry, go ahead.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I was gonna say so maybe you could tell us a little about your experiences when you first got to the US, because your book kind of ends there, right, Mm -hmm. right when you emigrated. And um, how did you adjust to, to life in the West after all those experiences in Romania?
2: Well, it was it's interesting because I came on a Tuesday, I think, and I, on Thursday I already had a job as a carpet cleaner. <laughs> and so I was in the Washington, D.C. area, and I, I, got, I was working 10 hours a day uh, cleaning carpets, and I, I uh, visited hundreds of homes in the process, which was very interesting because I never been in these million dollar mansions and, you know, wall to wall carpets, And these were all kind of falling to me and five, five bathrooms and, you know, a TV mounted inside the bathroom. So these were like, you know, my jaw, jo- my jaw dropped, um, uh, seeing all of that. And, uh, actually it was, uh, us was preparing for the first Gulf war. This was, uh, the fall of 1990 and I think they attacked, uh, with, I think it was January of '91, so this was months before that, and I was working near the Pentagon. Uh, so I visited the homes of many officers in the process, and uh, actually we started chatting about politics, which was, you know, and here I am, a Eastern European immigrant with a bad accent, and uh, and then he was a I don't know what star general or or colonel or whatever they were, <laughs> talking about. uh, you know, the uh, Iron Curtain and uh, the Cold War with the Soviet Union and Iraq and Saddam Hussein and Chauschov and all of that. So it was was pretty cool. So I did that for two months and I got a job as a um, computer scientist at a uh, supercomputer startup.
0: Yeah, you know, I was about. going to ask you, so, so why did you have to work at a carpet cleaner? I would have thought that computer engineering could, would be one of the credentials you actually could carry over.
2: Yeah. Well, I didn't have a job, so I just came you know, to my sister, and then uh, she was busy with her babies. She, was, she, was, she just had baby number two just as I came, um, and everybody needed money, and I, I always worked. I didn't know life without working. I, I cannot sit either for more than three days. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so I got that. And in the meantime, I was looking for, um, for a, um, uh, computer job. And then I needed somebody who gives me, who will give me an H1 visa and all that. So, so I did that. And, uh, that's when uh, so I was really, I went from one extreme of, you know, the kind of, the, uh, day labor, hard physical labor to, um, You know, computer science was very interesting. I learned a lot in the past, for sure. And it was a huge cultural shock. I mean, I was familiar with the U.S. because I was always like a sunflower. I turned turned my face towards the U.S. always, even in my childhood. Maybe it comes out from the stories, but any movie I saw with the U.S., any slang that I could pick up from the cowboy movies, any... um, any music I could hear on the shortwave radio, any book I put my hands on it. Uh, I, you know, I was always on it. Right. So, um, as much as I rejected the culture coming from the East, from the Soviets, as much I embraced everything coming from the West. So I was familiar with a lot of things like V8 engines. I never saw V8 engine in my life. Uh, but I, I heard on the radio, on the radio free of how they operate and, uh, and, uh, you know, but when when I actually arrived in the U.S., I say, "Wow, these are way bigger than I thought." And you know, they, <laughs> um, I, I drove a V8 first, and it was like an amazing experience, like an old Ford uh, County Squire car, like a, like a ship, like a boat. Um, so, and then I went to like a there was a grocery store nearby. It's called, it used to be called Giants. I don't know if that chain still exists. And the first time I went to Giants, uh, I was like mesmerized. And after that, I wrote a letter back to Romania where I, I described my experience as a first-time shopper at Giants. Like, you know, having 20 types of uh, toothpaste and countless rows of, uh, you know, all the stuff that I've seen and fruit that I've never seen in my life, like avocados or jackfruit or mangoes. I never even... I heard about them, but I never actually touched them. Uh, bananas galore. Even actually... I was living with my sister, and my brother-in-law used to bring wonderful banana, and I would say, may I have a banana? He said, yeah, sure. And I, uh, two hours later, may I have a banana? Yeah, sure. And, and he said, dude, just eat as many bananas as you want, because they're the cheapest fruit. I said, are you sure? He said, yes, I'm sure. And I ate bananas for a month until I got saturated, and I couldn't eat bananas for another month after that.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting how this theme of bananas comes up over and over in the conversations we discuss in this podcast. Like, I remember a few months think, ago yeah. we discussed
2: another yeah. book where
0: bananas were a very prominent uh, feature.
2: And probably, yeah. pr- probably, banana is like a canary in the in the coal mine because they they spoil easily, and if you don't have a system, of, you know, like a transportation and. Cooling and all of that, if you don't have the infrastructure, you cannot uh transport banana to a remote
1: town or a remote village there's no way right? oh, so i was going I was going to add that bananas are not even here local in the united States it's produced locally yes yeah <laughs> and, and yet, and, yet, and you know, yet they are like, everywhere uh, right, um, right. plenty of them, so yeah, I mean. Your book uh, really talks a lot about uh, the scarcity of things, you know, which is a a common theme uh, from most uh, books that we have shared and stories about communism. Scarcity of things, you know, and and uh, for the first time in my life, I have I moved here in 1978. For the first time in my life. I see some of the stores here, some scarcity stuff, so I'm a little bit worried because every bad story I heard about socialism and communism uh includes scarcity, you know, and now, when I hear that around here i, I get I get more than concerned right. about you well the funny
2: about you? The funny thing is that uh because i I learned to live. With nothing right so I actually I, I, there was a joke or, or like a saying that if I, if I got my woman um, pocket knife and a box of matches, I can survive anywhere right um, <laughs> so so you know if, if, if I need I, I, I build a bow and go and hunt hunt a deer or something I mean if, if I have to or 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 catch a rodent or go and catch a fish or you know. I remember when when uh, when I came to Oregon in '93, um, one of my colleagues from uh, from Intel said that oh, there's the people who are starving in or they don't have food in Oregon. They're not starving, but they like you know there's scarcity of food. And there were just tons of blackberry bushes around my house, tons, yes. millions. And I said, no. If there's hungry people, they would be around my house eating all the blackberries. Because I have yeah, seen yeah. hungry people, and the hungry people <laughs> go to thicket and thorns, uh, and they bleed to death to, to grab the last last fruit. And and yeah. uh, they are, maybe they are lazy, maybe they are slightly hungry, but, but hungry when, you are, when your when life depends on surviving, <laughs> you're gonna think, Are you gonna eat leaves? You're gonna eat branches. You're gonna eat grass. That's hunger,
1: right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, Yeah, I mean, it, it is
0: interesting how we, you know, have these poverty levels where we discuss, you know, how if someone's relatively unequal here, it's a horrible tragedy. And, you know, obviously it's something we want to make more equal, but you can't use the generic word poor and think that what people speak about as poor here is any comparison to sort of what you grew up with. And have you do you, have you ever gone
1: back, or have things changed oh, yes, yes. out
2: there? Are they yes, really changed? I, yes, I have. I have gone back. I I do keep ties, even though you know I I, I consider myself an American. Mm-hmm. when I when I uh, had my oath uh, of uh, allegiance for the citizenship, you know that, you know mm-hmm. you will grab yeah. a, a weapon to defend your country. That was, um, you know, I thought I thought hard about that sentence. You I know, mean, I took it, I took it to heart. And actually, I have a niece, my sisters, the sister that I visited that I came to in D.C. She has three daughters, and I have three sons. And one of her daughters is in the U.S. Air Force, and she's a B-52 bomber pilot. Wow! And so our family is, our family is, uh, um, putting their part into the, defending this country. And there's a sacrifice there. There's a potential human sacrifice time and all of that. So I, I took, I took that to, I took it seriously. Uh, but it doesn't mean that I, I don't, uh, I don't uh, cherish my roots from Romania and Hungary. Um, mm-hmm. Because I, as I said in the book, I was surrounded by a lot of loving people. I, I think I got lucky. Um, and not just, good, not just loving people, there was a lot of teachers who wanted to teach me. Somehow, when they saw me, they wanted to teach me. Maybe I was also a good student, and maybe, maybe there was one kind of a, a, a two-way uh, relationship. But uh, I owe a lot to them, and they spent countless time with me, uh, teaching me. And, and, uh, and I go back, and I meet my old teachers, you know, the ones who are alive. And in their life, I, I used to go there back. And um, things have changed, um, uh, Romania is a beautiful country, as I mentioned in my, in my book. Um, the government is not good. I, I don't like it. They, they are like, um, somehow, um, they're just not operating as effective as they should. There's trash everywhere. There's, uh, um, they steal everything. There's, you know, there's movies. I don't know if you watch the can the can uh, film, um, uh, Gala, whatever, there's a lot of, you know, Romanian movies, they all talk about corruption in the health industry and corruption and poisoning the rivers and a lot of stuff. So even though it's like quote-unquote democracy, um, they could have the living standards of the Austrians, but they don't. And there's many reasons for that. Uh, It's better than than before, and definitely they do have bananas. (laughs) <laughs> now,
0: now are there a lot yes. of former communists there in positions of power like there are in
2: some of the other Eastern European countries I, I, don't, I don't really know uh, I know that when, when the switch happened when I was still there and I followed it closely the, the next wave of leaders that came, came in when Ceaușescu was executed they were communists kind of um, disgruntled communists who fell out of favor with the dictators, right?
1: Mm-hmm. But they
2: definitely were party members. They definitely had, you know, connections. I mean, you could not become the leader of a country in two days after the execution of a dictator if you were not in the top echelon. And you could not be in the top echelon if you're not part of the apparatus. Yes, yeah. My father, who was not a party member, who was a math teacher in a small town, there's no way for him to rise to power in Bucharest. Know, there's like 50, 50 hurdles to jump over to get there. Um, yeah. And, and uh, since then, I don't. I don't even know what communism is anymore there because, uh, you know, there's uh, there's many access to this. There's the uh, lies. There's the uh, corruption. There is uh, communism. There's democracy. There is free trade. Money uh, nepotism. So all of these vectors, you mix them together, you get something. You get a piece. <laughs> you get, you get like marmalade.
1: You get you get like
2: marmalade. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, I know, I, I,
0: know, I, I, yeah. I think one of the issues is that people focus on the label communism, which of course is a, a bad thing when you try to practice it. But it's sort of related to the fact that you give overwhelming power to a government. And when you concentrate power like that, it doesn't matter right. whether you label it communism or socialism exactly. or something else. The people who exactly. want that concentration of power are going to not be good people and they're going to take advantage right. of everything they can.
2: Right. T- talking about Romania, so um, they they joined NATO um, and then uh, Rum- uh, the U.S. is very happy to get in there because they have... Uh, they have access to the Black Sea coast. So Romania has a, a shore which is bordering Ukraine. So they built a, a rocket facility in Constanza. So the, the canal where I, where I worked at age 17 um, is going from the Danube to the Black Sea coast. And nearby, near where the canal hits the Black Sea, a few kilometers from there, there's a city called Constanza. And Constanza, next to Constanza, there's a, a military base. And that is owned by the U.S., I don't know, or whatever. They have presence there. And uh, they have huge, giant fuel tanks and lots of rockets, and actually Putin is pissed about that. Um, and recently, about two or three weeks ago, actually, you can look it up on Google, uh, they realized that it was uh, theft of fuel, fuel theft by the Romanians in the millions of dollars. Three or four million dollars worth of fuel was stolen.
1: Um,
2: right, and then, and so the, the U.S. Uh, commanders, they questioned the Romanian Ministry of, of Defense. They said, how come this happened? And then the, the Romanian Ministry of Defense came back with this line, which is like, like unbelievable, but also true. He said, it's U.S.'s fault, because they should have known that theft is part of Romanian culture. Oh, my God. <laughs> this, this was his answer. And I can, after the interview, I can send you the Google link. So that's um, so what I was thinking, you know, why? Because, uh, you know, is it not necessary because of the, the Romanian st- uh, steel, but because of the, of the short shortages of, of decades and decades of shortages, right? Uh, they just... Um, they just learned how to how to you know survive by grabbing yeah. whatever they can grab. Onto. Even even when they would go to like a different country to a, a open bar or or like a, all you can eat, they would pack their purses with with a, um with food, <laughs> whatever. Like they have yeah. Parmesan cheese pa- pouches or or. Uh, ketchup pouches, they would fill the person with ketchup pouches, just because <laughs> that fear that we're not going to have, even though they had ketchup back in Romania, they still did it. I don't know if they still do it today, but um, it's, it's so hard he, to eradicate that, that, that uh, you know, the scar that you had. It's hard. So it yeah. became uh, part of the culture eventually. Look, yeah, looks like it. Looks like it. I mean, definitely, there's less theft in the U.S. where I live here than there. I mean, here I leave my, the bicycles in front of the house for a year, and nobody steals them. There, there's no way. I mean, you leave a bicycle for 20 minutes, and it's you know, it 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 will be gone.
0: Earlier in the interview, you also mentioned that you had a whole bunch of uh, backup stories ready for for your next book or something. I was wondering if maybe you could give us a preview of uh, one of your amusing <laughs> stories right. that you didn't tell in the book that's
2: uh, about life in Romania.
1: Right, right.
2: Well, um, one of them is about bears because um, I had like three stories with bears that I I didn't put in. I mean, one of them was I was maybe 10, 10 years old, 12 years old. We went to the Rodney Mountain. So that, that, uh, that mountain... Um, theme recurs in the book because I had a lot of, I spent a huge amount of time in those mountains, in the northern part of Romania, close to the Ukrainian border. Um, and I, in the summer, my father took me and my sister up there for like three weeks. And uh, there was a cabin, like, a, you know, no running water, no electricity, just wood stove and uh, uh, an axe. Like, you have no weapons. And, and then uh, there was a horse out there in, on pasture. And uh, in the night, you heard this terrible, terrible, uh, uh, noise, like a dying animal. And next thing went out and the, the horse was killed by a bear and his belly was cut out with the claws of the bear and went out there and I saw that carnage. And for me was like a really, really, um, really visceral moment. I didn't see the attack happen live, but I saw the blood and the, that, that horse And so we were walking in the forest there, and you didn't know where the the bear is Right. So this was one story. The other story was that when I lived in Brasov, which is the center of of Romania, so the Carpathian Mountains make a corner. They come down from the northwest. They go southeast, and they make a sudden sharp turn towards west. So in that elbow of the mountains, there's a city called Brasov. It's kind of in the smack center of Romania. It's a beautiful city, by the way. Um, so there we lived in the, this communist, um, panel apartment, um, region where there were no houses before. And then the communist government just built 30,000 homes, like really gray just, just, you know, really no color just, just concrete and cold apartments in the shadow of this mountain that there was almost no, no stand. Yeah, so, so that's uh, the Rokado Valley, and, and that valley had uh, one road, and then the, the forest came down all the way to the road, like a few meters away from it. Then they had these um, garbage containers uh, uh, along this road, huge garbage containers. And the, the garbage pickup was not regular, because then you had diesel, so you know, there was garbage just, just spilling over and out of these garbage containers. And uh, the bears would would come down and eat garbage. And then I was commuting by bicycle because the buses wouldn't run or they were like overcrowded and so I was and I, I was uh, working second shift so I came home at 11 or so and I was paddling up the mountain up the hill it's pretty steep hill and I go and I knew that garbage container number five usually had a bear so I, I would avoid that. But then I was it was so dark, I couldn't see. There was no street lighting, so I only had my, my dynamo on and a little bit spot of light on my bicycle. So I went past uh, uh, a lower garbage, garbage container, and the bear jumped out at me from the garbage container. So all I saw was like this giant black shape, almost like a, like a ghost just jumped, and I, I heard the claws um, scre- uh, scrap on the asphalt. Just on my left side. And, wow. and there, fortunately, there was a, a road going to the right in a T, T junction. And I turned my bicycle to the right and I pedaled for my life. And I pedaled so fast that my, my light bulb burned out from the voltage I generated. <laughs> so I was, I was just pedaling like madman in the pitch darkness towards a faraway single light bulb. And I paddled all the way there, and then I stole down a little bit, and I looked back, and I couldn't see anything. I was out of breath. I was like a like a dash, like a sprint runner. Like I, I spent all my energy in like, a few seconds.
0: Yeah, Yeah. isn't the conventional and, yeah. wisdom supposed to be that you shouldn't try to outrun a bear because it's just going to catch you and have more fun? Yeah, uh,
2: <laughs> yes. Well, you know, when, when the shock hits your nervous system, you will react the way it reacts. <laughs> uh, and then, and then there was another story with the bear And I, I thought about putting in this, uh, but, you know, I just didn't fit in the book anymore. So we had the, we had the, the bees. So you have seen that in the book, um, a lot of, a lot of stories have relationship to beekeeping. And, uh, it just, I just cannot, I just kind of separate my life from beekeeping because it was such a an organic part of my life. And, uh, my, through my father, I didn't do it myself. He, he had it and he said, son, you go and that's it. There was no, no arguing with my father. Like he had a very strong power in personality. If you, if you, if he told you, you go, you go, it is no argument.
1: Mm-hmm. So I
2: went with him for 20 some years, thousands of times to the bees by bicycle and and then he had the bees in the middle of nowhere, uh, and then the, remember I told you about the wild boar story that the party leaders like to shoot wild boars? Yeah. So, so, so they, no, people, average people didn't have weapons, right? So only the, the leaders had weapons. So they got tired of wild boars, and they imported bears from the mountains. So the mountains have bears because they, there's lots of berries in the mountains, mostly uh, raspberry. Uh, so in the, in the Carpathian mountains, there's bears, even today. There's, probably there's more bears in Romania than most other countries in Europe. Actually, one of my friend's son is, is a bear, uh, like a ranger there. Anyway, oh, yeah. so they, they trap like 10 bears in the mountains. They truck tra- them to, our, to the forest in, in the neighborhood of our city. And he said, Why don't we let them lose? Let them, let them multiply so we can shoot them. Right? <laughs> he didn't think about the fact that these bears have nothing to eat because there's no berries. So the bears started eating sheep. The bears started breaking into um, um, bee, Farm. uh, bee farms. Right?
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: my father had this because my father and grandfather, great grandfather, they were all. all uh, woodworkers. My father was a mathematician, but his, his father and grandfather were woodworkers, and they were very good at it. So when they built something, it was solid, like really solid. So they built this really solid uh, bee, uh, beehives for my father, and the bear went, and so the beehive's wall was double wall with an air gap in between. One wall was going vertically, then air gap, and horizontally. So he smashed with his paw through the to the side of the of the beehive, pulled out the frames, ate the whole thing with the wood frame, and uh, there's a wiring, steel wiring, and the uh, and the uh, beeswax and the uh, honeycomb and everything, and then he pooped all over. We saw the crumpled up steel cables in his poop, and then dead 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 uh, bees everywhere, and he broke like six of those. Uh, of those uh, beehives, which my father was really, really unhappy about. So we when and said, okay, we have to save the bee farm. So we go there with a flashlight that has hardly any electricity, like we can hardly see, like, like a candle or two candles worth of light. We have a pocket knife with a two-inch blade, because you couldn't have three-inch blade or longer knives, because you couldn't have weapons. So we go out there at night, and I was, I was pooping in my pants. I was so afraid. And then we looked around, and, and you know, have no nobody, right? Nobody will help you. So we made fire, and then we had pots and pans, and we like hammer pots and pans with our, with the, the stone or something. And we do that to like two a.m. Then we go back. Then we go back next day, and we do it for three nights. Then the fourth night we didn't go. Then the bear came again and broke into another like six or seven hives. <laughs> then we go back again to, to keep the, uh, the bear away, and and then. One day my father didn't come home and I didn't know where my father was. So I was, uh, uh, of course there's no telephone, nothing. I mean, it's just darkness and you have a pocket knife and a bicycle. So I go, this is like a one hour biking trip for me. I'm like going from here to forest grove, you mm-hmm. know, in the woods somewhere. So, um, so uh, my mother and me are like really scared. I said, I'm going to go and see where my dad is. So I go back there and I was so scared.
1: I was so scared.
2: I go up to this, well, he just had recent bear attacks. And my father didn't come home. He never didn't come home. All my life, he was always home on time. So one time my father is not at home. So uh, I go up there to search for my dad and I, I'm shouting, I have a pot, a pot I, I hammer the pot uh, to make some noise and, and nothing, there's no, no sign of bear, no sign of my father, nothing. He comes back in the morning, right? And both me and my mother didn't sleep, we were like waiting for him, what, what's going on? And he didn't say, he said, no, I, I, no, I can't tell you. Um, and then, you know, I, I couldn't push no more. And later on, I find, actually it's not him, after my father died, I found out from somebody else what happened. The bear was eating sheep. So the shepherds asked for my father for honey. He gave them like a two kilos of honey. They, they got uh, plum brandy. They mixed the plum brandy with the with the honey, and it made the trap for the bear. They got the bear. The bear got drunk and fell asleep. They went in to kill the bear. I don't know how they killed the bear with axes, whatever. They killed the drunk bear. And then uh, they they had a horse who towed the the body of the bear until um, there was some rock quarry and then they they made like an avalanche of rock to cover the the body of this of this bear. And my father was either involved or he gave them the the money or I don't know what happened. But that was the night when the bear disappeared. Or one of the bears disappeared.
1: Well, this is uh, interesting. There's a big moral of the story too. Don't get drunk, because you become a busy prey. <laughs> you become Or don't, a bloody prey. <laughs> or don't import uh,
2: uh, wild animals to a place yeah. where they don't belong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that, that seems
0: like, you know, another interesting aspect of it, that you had these officials who were importing the bears, because they like to hunt, and they didn't even right. think
2: about right. what would the effects be on the local population. Right. Kind Have you seen the movie... Uh, have you seen the movie Second Hand Lions? Oh
1: yes, I have. Uh-huh. So when the yeah. old
2: the old no. guys buy an yeah. old lion to shoot the lion, <laughs> yes, yeah. and then the kids are no, don't shoot the lion. Said no, 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 we want to hunt something. So when to shoot the lion, said no, don't shoot. the <laughs> So it was kind of like that, you know. They brought a bear to shoot the bear. Uh, so, oh, so so I think
1: we're
0: for we're yeah show. running out of uh, time for our interview but maybe uh, do, you see, do you have any sort of final message for all the people out there who are trying to drive the US towards uh, socialism and communism
2: these days? Again, you know, my life is uh, intertwined with beekeeping and it's interesting that bees are naturally born to be communists. You know, they uh, when they're born, they come out and they start sharing with everybody. They don't, there's no infighting, there's no greed, uh, there's no dictator. There's a the queen, but the queen has a very precise role, right? And I, I observed uh, how, how these, these behave. And there's not lazy. There's no. They're not on the couch or they're not. If you give them a stimulus, check, they're not going to sit at home and watch TV. Right? <laughs> work. Mm-hmm. So I think the DNA of these of these animals, maybe ants, too, or bees, is is um, uh, well-suited for that kind of society. But humans are not, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe maybe it, ideally it would be nice. Maybe if you would re, reprogram the DNA and say, okay, everybody is, who's oh, everybody? But the, the fact of the matter is that if people are not, not motivated, they're not going to work. Some will, but not everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if, you, if you just give them a check and say, okay, here's a check, and then... Do do whatever you can with the time. They're gonna sit at home and watch Netflix. But uh, growing up, you know, there's all this. It's mine. You see, a, you put a ball in front, and
1: uh-huh.
2: there's the the reaction is not let's share. The reaction is grab it and yank it from the other guy's hand. That's kind of in it. Even their fingers, you know, is always like mine. And and as long as we have this kind of greed, um, uh, it's it's hard, right? The other thing is that. Communism is one thing, you know, the ideal of communism, of everybody does every, everything for everybody together, that's one thing. And that has its own problems. But the other problem is that when you have a centralized government, then uh, it, it turns into a dictatorship. And at some point, communism is not even, they do it under the umbrella of communism. But that's, it's not, even, you could call it whatever, brainwashing. But it becomes a dictatorship. And that's when you get the nepotism, you get the lies, you get the, uh, because, Corruption. you know. Uh, Corruption. Mm-hmm. Exactly, because communism doesn't, you could say that, hey, if you don't motivate people, they're not going to work. Yeah, that's, that's pretty clear. If you don't motivate, they're not going to work. But it uh, doesn't necessarily mean that communism means lies. But dictatorship, centralized government, and not accepting criticism or not accepting free press, leads to a life and leads to corruption, and leads to nepotism, and leads to mafia, kind of, which happened in, in Romania at the time. Um, and the most
0: bad, in their own way. Again, if you want to read more of Sudo's amazing, eye-opening, and darkly humorous stories about his early life in Romania, be sure to check out his book, I Tried, available at your favorite online bookseller and linked in the show notes at storiesofcommunism.com. And this has been your story of communism for today.